This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. This was a story that the Sadagora Rebbe, the son of Rebbe Sayal of Ruzing, the Rizhina Rebbe, once told about the Heliger Baal Shem Tov. As everybody knows, the Baal Shem Tov traveled around for most of his life, especially after he revealed himself as a tzaddik and a Rebbe. And there was one particular town that every time he went there, he stayed with one of the wealthy Jews in town. And all the local Jews knew that every time the Baal Shem Tov came, he had a special room and always stayed with this wealthy Jew. One Friday afternoon, the Baal Shem Tov arrives in town, and it wasn't the usual time of the year that the Baal Shem Tov would come to this particular town. And instead of going to the wealthy Jew for Shabbos, he went straight to the shul. And the wealthy Jew comes to the shul and he says, Hey, the Garebi, why aren't you coming to my house like you always do? And the Baal Shem Tov said, Tonight, I'm going to stay here in the shul. And not only that, please bring your family here and help me to gather all of the Jews in the community to be here in shul with me. And so they daven Kabbalat Shabbat together, the whole community, with the Baal Shem Tov leading the davening. And then afterwards, the Baal Shem Tov said, we're going to now begin Sefer Tehillim, the book of Psalms, and we're going to go straight through the whole book as long as it takes us. And it took them till around midnight to finish. And then the Baal Shem Tov asked the wealthy Jew if he wouldn't mind to please bring him the food that he wanted to serve him for Friday night dinner there to the shul. And the Baal Shem Tov sent everyone else back home to have their meals with their families. And he said, when you're finished, come back here, everyone, and we're going to say Tehillim together throughout the whole night. And in the morning, when the sun came up, they daven shachit, read the Torah, Musaf. And then the Baal Shem Tov said to the wealthy Jew, now I'm ready to come to you for a Shabbos meal. And after the meal, he invited as many people as could squeeze into the house to come back and visit. And they're sitting there for bringing together. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And a Gentile comes into the room and asks for a heavy drink of vodka. So the wealthy Jew looks at the Baal Shem Tov and the Baal Shem Tov nods. So the wealthy Jew pours him a big cup of vodka. And then the Baal Shem Tov turns to the Goy and he says to him, Tell me, what do you know? What news do you have? And he said, Yesterday, just before evening, the Poritz who owns all of this property gathered all of the non-Jews together. He told them, Come with any weapons and ammunition you have. And he gave them swords and knives and guns. And he told them, At midnight, you're going to wipe out all the Jews of this town. You're going to have a good old-fashioned pogrom and get those Jews. And I was there, amongst them, with my pitchfork and my knife, ready to attack just like everyone else. But just before dawn, a carriage came rolling up. And the door opens. And a very distinguished-looking, important official comes down the stairs and talks with the porrits. They're talking and talking and talking. In the meantime, all of us are waiting waiting to go out and attack the Jews. And when they finished talking, 
The poets turned to all of us and said, Go back home. No pogrom tonight. And then he drank down the rest of his vodka. <sighs> now the Baal Shem Tov turned to everybody and explained to them what was going on. He said this Poritz was so wealthy that he had no reason to sell his grain. He would collect grain from the whole area and store it in his silos for many months and sometimes even years. And no matter how much money he was offered, it was never enough for him. And so, since he was never willing to sell, the grain just piled up in his granaries, and eventually it began to rot. And the poets became very angry. So what am I going to do with rotten grain? Whose fault is this? And some of his Jew-hating friends convinced the poets that it was because of the Jews convincing other people not to buy his grain that the grain sat there and rotted, becoming so angry. The poet said, I'm going to get my revenge on those Jews. I'm just going to wipe them all out. It's my town. I can do whatever I want with my Jews. And so he gathered everyone together and was about to attack everyone. But then all of a sudden, this very distinguished official, and when he comes out, the first thing he says to the poets is, what's going on here? Why is everybody armed? Is there a war? And the poets told him that he was about to get his revenge on the Jews who had maliciously caused his grain to rot because they wouldn't buy it. And the man who came out of the carriage, he said, Really? I'm very surprised to hear that. I've always had good relations with the Jews. I do business with them all the time, and I've always found them to be very honest. I guarantee if you bring them here, tomorrow, after their Sabbath, you'll see that they'll even sell your rotten grain for you. That's how loyal the Jews are. Now this person who the Baal Shem Tov was talking about, the one who was in the carriage and speaking with the poets, he had been a close friend of the Poritz all the way back when they were in school, 40 years ago. But what the Poritz didn't know is that he had died many years before. And the Baal Shem Tov, knowing that this was the only person that the Poritz would actually trust to change his mind, asked in heaven if he would be permitted to bring back the old school friend from the dead. And so the Baal Shem Tov said, You see, I didn't have any choice. The only way that I could save the community was by us davening together and by me bringing back that old school pal who would convince the poets to send everyone back home. Now when the Rebbe of Sadegora would finish telling the story, he would say, there's a problem in the story. Because the Baal Shem Tov was so holy and could achieve anything through his davening, why couldn't he just remain in Mejibuz and gather all the Jews of Mejibuz together and daven for this community for Mejibuz? Why did he have to travel all the way over there to be with them? And the Sadegor Rebbe explained that the Baal Shem Tov, being such a great tzaddik, he thought like this, If my plan works, Baruch Hashem, then everything is well and good. But if it isn't, and the Jews of that town are going to be wiped out by the Poritz, then I want to be there with them, because we're all in this together. And that's how great the Baal Shem Tov was. He's never concerned about himself. Only about his fellow Jews. Before I tell you one more short story, I'll just share another short story about the Baal Shem Tov. Once there was a woman that came to the Helega Baal Shem Tov and said, Rebbe, I can't have children. 
My husband and I have been married for over 20 years. We haven't merited to get pregnant even one time. The Baal Shem Tev, with his holy vision, he looked in heaven, and he saw that all the gates were closed, and he couldn't help this woman. But he decided he could daven, because as everybody knows, prayer can change anything. And so the Helega Baal Shem Tev davened that this woman should have children, and he realized that in heaven the gates were open again. And he told her, go home, your prayers will be answered. And then he made it for Brengen, and invited all the Hasidim to join him and celebrate. And they're drinking, and they're eating, and they're dancing. They turn to the Rebbe and they say, Holy Rebbe, we don't understand why you want to celebrate when your prayers were accepted in heaven. And the Baal Shem Tov explained to them that it's true that my prayers were accepted, but then I was brought upstairs for a judgment in the holy court. And I was told that my reward in the world to come had been taken away from me forever, and I would never, ever receive a reward in the world to come. And so for that, I'm incredibly joyous. And the Hasidim said, Rebbe, that doesn't make very much sense. We would think that you would be very sad. He said, no, you don't understand. Now I can truly serve Hashem without any ulterior motive. Simply for the sake of being a Jew and serving God with no reward. That's why I'm so joyous. You know, I just enjoy telling these stories. If it was up to me, I'd sit here all day telling stories. So I've got one more, just one more, about the Heidegger Reb Zusha. Ah, I love you, Reb Zusha. There were a few years that Reb Zusha would wander, sometimes with his brother and sometimes on his own, from village to village and town to town. And since he was simple and dressed like a simple person, nobody knew that a great tzaddik was there. And one night, he was sitting in a Beit Midrash, in a shul study room, in whatever small town he happened to be in. And a woman opens the door and says, Has anyone here seen my husband? Now, nobody had ever seen this woman before. And it turned out that her husband had abandoned her. And she had no idea where he was or even if he was alive. And now this woman was a Naguna, which meant that she couldn't be a divorcee or a widow. And she was forbidden to remarry. Wanting to get out of this Aguna status, she decided to go and search for her husband and ask people in every city, town, and village, had they seen her husband? And not having any pictures back in those days, she described her husband, the unique physical characteristics that he had, and everywhere she went, nobody had ever seen him. And she was running out of money, and she was running out of strength. She was emotionally drained. She figured she's going to try one more town, one more shul, and ask, has anyone seen her husband? And when Rabzusha heard her, he jumped up and said, Go quickly now to the local town guest house, and you'll find your husband there. The woman didn't ask any questions. She simply turned around and ran to the local guest house. And there, remarkably, she discovered her husband, who had run away. And everyone in this town was amazed. Who was this guy, who nobody had seen before, that somehow knew where this woman's husband had been? And not only that, they soon discovered that Reb Zusha had never even set foot in the guest house. So he'd never seen this woman's husband. For sure this is a miracle. And word spread quickly from mouth to mouth throughout the whole Jewish community there. And everyone came and said, Sadi, give us a bracha. And people wanted to know how did he make this miracle happen. And Reb Zusha said, no, there's no miracle here. I'll tell you, something strange happened to me in shul this morning. After davening shachris, I overheard two men conversing, and one of them said that a new guest had just shown up in the guest house. 
And Zusha said to himself, Zusha couldn't figure out what was the significance of Zusha hearing this conversation. Why would Zusha's ears need to hear this conversation amongst all the other conversations in Shul at that time? And the more Zusha thought about it, the more Zusha couldn't come up with an answer, even a theory. And so Zusha went to learn and forgot about it. And then just after the evening prayer, Zusha started thinking about it again. Why did Zusha overhear this conversation this morning about some new guests in the guest house? And then this woman came in and said, Has anyone seen my husband? And Zusha said, That's the answer. That's why I heard the conversation this morning. And so I told her, Your husband is in the guest house. So now everybody's looking at one another and they're saying, No, Zusha, that's called a miracle. If you don't know what a miracle is, now you do. Zusha, you're a tzaddik, give us a bracha. And Zusha said, no, it's not a miracle. Zusha is so careful not to hear gossip or even idle conversations that when Zusha's ears heard this strange conversation, Zusha knew there had to be a deeper meaning behind it. And that only convinced everybody that he really was a tzaddik because only such a pure soul like Reb Zusha's could hear such an insignificant conversation and find within it the true deeper meaning. May we all be blessed in the merit of the tzaddikim, especially the holy Rebbe, Rebbe Meshulam Zushe. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. As usual, I want to thank one of the new supporters of this podcast, the Burak family of Beitar Elite, and their son, Svi, who listens to the podcast every day on his way to Cheder. Thank you so much for your financial support for this podcast and for listening and being such loyal listeners. I have to share with you a personal Hasidic story. Last week, in episode 163, which I called Proof That Hashem Is Running The World. I told two stories about Amalek and about miracles that were performed by now the late, great tzaddik, Rabbi Chaim Kenievsky, a blessed memory. The amazing thing is that, one, I had never told any stories about Rabbi Kenievsky before on this podcast, and that the two stories were actually taken from different newsletters that were approximately 10 years apart from one another. And just for my listeners to understand, here in my office, I have literally piles of books and stories that I've been collecting for over 20 years. I used to tell these stories in shul, and at one point, my wife decided to start putting them in a box for me. And then eventually, as technology developed, I started telling stories on this podcast, and I was so grateful for the archive that I had. 
And so since I have so many stories here, every week I struggle. Which story am I going to tell this week? And I'll look at one story and I'll say, oh, it's a great story, but I don't feel a soul connection with it. I'll look at another story and say, no, that's really not the one I'm feeling like I need to tell this week. And for some reason, both of the stories that I told last week, I felt like those are the stories that need to be told this week. And now I record the stories normally on a Sunday. And Rabbi Kanievsky passed away on Friday. So I'd recorded the stories long before he passed away, but of the same week that he passed away. And if you ever need proof that Hashem is running the world, you can listen to those two stories, but you can also listen to this story and know that Rabbi Kanievsky was the real thing. To somehow end up on a Hasidic story podcast, the leader of the Litvak Haredi world, the same week that he passed away, just blows my mind. So obviously we're doing something right, my sweetest friends. Me telling the stories and you listening and you sharing. And thank you for all the comments that you leave me. I appreciate every single one of them and look forward to reading them. And to all the people that wrote me and sent me personal messages, they wanted to know how did I know Rabbi Kenievsky was going to pass away. They wanted to know why did I pick those stories. So now you know. I just felt like those were the stories that needed to be told that week. Thank you for listening, my sweetest friends. If you want to contribute to this podcast, you know where to find the website. It's at HasidicStory.com, H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. And I look forward to sharing our next story together. Zai Gesund. Let's